0: This season, we'll be further exploring each topic, hanging out with experts and enthusiasts of all kinds for more strange stories, social commentary, and the myths that make America tick. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Today, we're talking to Jason Stanley, professor of philosophy at Yale University and the author of the New York Times best-selling book, How Fascism Works.
1: Patriarchal masculinity sets up men with the expectation that society will allow them the role of sole protectors and providers of their families. In times of extreme economic anxiety, men, already made anxious by a perceived loss of status, resulting from increasing gender equality, can easily be thrust into panic by demagoguery directed against minorities. Here, fascist politics intentionally distorts the source of anxiety. A fascist politician has no intention of addressing the root causes of economic hardship. Fascist politics distorts male anxiety, heightened by economic anxiety, into fear that one's family is under existential threat from those who reject its structure and traditions.
0: Thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the show. It's it's truly an honor.
1: Thanks so much, Chelsea. It's a terrific program podcast. You have a vital vital task you're doing.
0: Well, thank you. I feel the same way about you. So, on that note, um, I was as I was reading how fa- how fascism works. I was really uh, shocked by how much. Your content aligned with American hysteria and how all these different themes that we'd been tying together, all these different types of panics against different types of people and different types of situations. Um, I didn't really know that I was kind of talking about the process of fascism, keyword being process, right? So, something that would really help me is if you explained. Uh, what your definition of fascism is and uh, how it is sort of this process, not this destination, because we're hearing this word a lot. We're hearing it. It's a very big buzzword right now. Um, But you as an expert, I'd love to hear uh, you just define this crazy word.
1: Fascism is a cult of the leader uh, who promises national restoration in the face of supposed humiliation by immigrants, minorities, and leftist radicals, the fascist leader pronounces himself as the representation of the nation and the only solution uh, to bring back the nation in the face of these supposed humiliations.
0: That's that's a great, uh, very succinct. And and how is it? So you say fascism is not this this destination, but rather. Um, What do you see as the process of fascism and and what is the end result?
1: So we can talk about different things being fascist and Mm -hmm. people have been minimizing the situation by just saying we don't have a fascist regime now. So what's to worry about? Well, you know, um, Italy didn't have a fascist regime for several years under when Mussolini was prime minister. Uh, Germany didn't have a fascist regime at the beginning. Um, So so fascism, regular fascist regimes come about when uh, democratically elected leaders or leaders who've come in through a democratic process undermine democracy from within by stacking the courts. Uh, for, for example, by taking over various parts of the press. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so we can talk about fascism as many things. And I think that when we talk about it just as a regime, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Tony Morrison in 1995 in her Howard University commencement address, racism and fascism. Says that the United States has always preferred, has long preferred fascist solutions to national problems. Mm. Um, We now live in a country with the world's highest incarceration rate. When historians look back on our country and they think about its status, they'll note that it has an incarceration rate that parallels that of the Soviet Union in the early 1950s. So we have many. Uh, marks of a fascist society here, even though we do not have a fascist regime. Um, we have uh, vilification of minorities as at the very center um, of our politics in both political parties. Uh, and uh, at every election in the United States seems to be about race. Uh, so this is a fascist uh, cult. We have we have deep... We have... Uh, uh, um, Akil, Nik, Nikhil Pal Singh, an NYU uh, prof- uh, professor, Uh, talks about native fascist forces, and we have deep native fascist forces. Um, When I think of fascism, I think of it primarily as a kind of culture, a kind Mm -hmm. of political culture, and that's why conspiracy theories are so central to it. Um, Perhaps it's easiest to begin with its opposite, a democratic culture. Um, Now, there are different kinds of anti-democratic cultures. Fascism is just one kind of anti-democratic culture, Um, but, uh, but it's the kind that faces us in the United States. It's the anti-democratic threat that faces us in the United States. So that's why I focus it, focus on that. Um, a, a, a democratic culture is a culture that respects truth. Uh, democracy centered around truth because democracy has two values, freedom and equality and both freedom and equality require truth. Uh, Freedom requires truth because if you're lied to, you're not free. That's what the matrix is about. People in the matrix aren't free. That's why they want to get out of the matrix. You need truth to be free. Uh, And you need truth for equality because political equality is speaking truth to power. A democratic society, a democratic culture is one where a liar is punished. A democratic culture is one where when a politician lies, they lose support. If you want to destroy a democratic culture, you attack the truth. uh, You represent your opponent as a vicious enemy, uh, not a legitimate political opponent, but as, say, uh, someone who's hiding a pedophile ring. Uh, and uh, and And then truth doesn't matter anymore because who cares if the person hiding a pedophile ring is telling the truth? They're hiding a pedophile ring. And who cares if you're lying? You're defending uh, t- little children.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, quite uh, quite a transportation right into the present moment um, and something that we talked about on our fake news episode. And I mean, how could we not be talking about uh satanic pedophile cults pretty much constantly since the 1980s? Um, oh but on that note, I. Uh, I wanted to ask you how you think conspiracy theories and disinformation, uh, I believe you called it sort of the pillar of, of fascist ideology. So I was hoping you'd talk a little bit more about that, whether these conspiracy theories be within America or kind of comparing them, um, because they seem these themes seem to repeat. So if you want to compare them to other fascist regimes that you've also written and read about.
1: So. Uh, The very first article I ever wrote for a newspaper was on birtherism in the New York Times in 2011, ways of silencing. It's why I quit. It's why I moved from sort of purely academic work to writing for the newspapers a decade ago, because when birtherism came on the scene, I basically said, "Okay, I have to drop everything because as the child of two Holocaust survivors, I'm well aware that conspiracy theories mark the beginning of an end to democracy um what conspiracy theories do uh, or certain kind of conspiracy theory is they they mark out your enemy as uh as fundamentally satanic as fundamentally opposed to, to all values all virtuous values in civilization itself um and I think, I think once you start conspiracy theorizing, you can't help but ending up in with anti-Semitic conspiracies, um, because uh, I think anti-Semitism fundamentally uh, is an ideology that, that represents Jews as at the center of a conspiracy to take the world over. Um, and so ultimately, so now this is not to say that Jews can't, Jewish people themselves can't use conspiracy theories. They can and do. Uh, there are many Jewish uh, supporters of far-right nationalist movements. Um, but it's to say that the structure is an anti-Semitic structure. So at the very heart of National Socialism was the conspiracy theory, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, the forgery, uh, which was supposedly written by Jewish people, by, by the Elders of Zion, Jewish people. And it was this incoherent thing where wealthy Jews were supposedly promoting social justice movements in order to promote m- minorities, uh, women and minorities, to, take o- to, to, to do a race war, to take over from whites. And then white the, genocide. White genocide. <laughs> yeah. And then mm-hmm. the Jews could then take over and impose world communism. So that's the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. It's quite the idea- a
0: tale, yeah. <laughs>
1: it's quite a tale, but it's very familiar. Henry Ford gave out five hundred thousand copies of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, as you know, in the United mm-hmm. States. Um, so because it's so familiar, um, it's something that uh, you can, you know, constantly uh, redo. The Ku Klux Klan. The basis of the second Klan's ideology is the protocols. They said Jews are trying to bring around world communism by inciting blacks into a race war against whites. Uh, And then Jews using unions will take over and impose Marxism and communism. This is exactly the basis of today's Trump campaign.
0: 100 percent. Exactly the same. I mean, it's it's we're hearing i mean something that i read kind of reading ridiculous like alex jonesian type sites um there was the story of um i saw you know the jewish cabal um which were then controlling black lives matter that were then controlling the mask mandate because they wanted to hide patriot faces from god you know this sort right. of like just it, but it can all that's sort of what I loved about your book is how fascism alters an entire reality. It doesn't just um, it doesn't just give you random conspiracies to, you know, fold into your worldview. It kind of constructs an alternative reality where you've explained that debate becomes impossible. So can you talk a little bit about um, this idea that, because I love the way you put it, because there's that argument like, okay, we're on college campuses, we need this healthy debate, right? You can't thrive academically or intellectually if you don't have opposing viewpoints coming in. But as you point out, it's not so much about opposing viewpoints, it's about kind of this, this platform being unavailable for debate.
1: Yes. Once you, so people say, oh, you got to have every viewpoint in there. But some viewpoints, by their nature, seal off other viewpoints from rationality. If the viewpoint is black Americans are inferior or black people are inferior, intellectually inferior, then you've represented any black person who tries to argue against that either as intellectually inferior or as self-interested in trying to argue against you that, you know, they, that, uh, that they can't be rational. Uh, you know, so if you say women are inferior, you know, then any woman arguing against you automatically can't be rational because they're a woman. And so they have a stake in the matter. And so, yeah. and, and what these ideologies that represent other human beings as less rational by their nature, because if they're women, if they're black, if they're Muslim, um, uh, the, uh, or having a secret agenda, say, and so not being reasonable because they have a secret agenda. What that means, these very ideologies say that you can't have rational debate with them. If the ideology is women can't be rational, then how could you have a rational debate with a woman? Uh, so, uh, And then you're not being rational because the very premise of your debate is that women can't engage with you. So very central to scientific racism from its very inception, this is something that Stephen Jay Gould brilliantly discusses, uh, is uh, is in the mismeasure of man. Uh, scientific racists have always viewed themselves as more more objective, as heroes for free speech, uh, and in all their terrible errors. Uh, you know, if you want uh, a clear example, there's Frederick Hoffman's 1896. Race Traits of the American Negro, which I discuss in How Fascism Works, and he declares himself as purely objective and scientific. And it's true that he has many, many charts and statistics there arguing that black people are physically weaker than white people, slower than white people, can lift less weight than white people. Those are things that we, anyone now, and they're not part of contemporary racism, that black Black Americans are physically weaker But that was considered objectively established fact because what he did is he took a whole bunch of statistics on, uh, on black American soldiers, uh, and physical training on them and showed that, uh, they, uh, that white soldiers could lift more weights and were faster. Um, but what he didn't consider is that black the black soldiers were malnourished. Um, He didn't consider that black soldiers got worse treatment. He erased racism from, from it. So what this quote unquote objectivity does is it makes you, it masks reality from you.
0: It's interesting that this person would have written about, uh, black folks being uh, weaker when they're also sort of the opposite stories, right, of whoever is that other of the uh, of the, you know, rural white population, Uh, racial others, uh, people who have different gender identities, sexualities, uh, people who are Jewish. Obviously, there's this Um, kind of what you said, like there's this satanic element, um, especially during sort of like the long term war on drugs. Black Americans were painted as, you know, monstrous, impervious to police bullets. And uh, I think all of that, you know, because we have this sort of scientific racism and then we have sort of the more overt racism, which we uh, still have today, I'd say. Um, But uh, could you kind of talk about these these panics that are created over these villains that are often considered satanic monstrous or um inhuman in some way and how those themes show up again and again, like these particular panics that we've talked about, you know, like the sexuality of teenagers um, protecting uh, children from, you know, stranger pedophiles, um, anything from, you know, the stories of the Illuminati to satanic cults that we're seeing again. So can you just sort of talk about how these themes of panic and these themes of fear come back again and again in uh, fascist ideology?
1: So fascism... Really centers violence. The idea is it's a it's a war. It's a, your leader represents the nation, and there are the people who are trying to destroy the nation. Um, there there's there's various kinds of opponents in fascism. There's the brilliant coup plotters of fascism. The, the the element of the leftist radicals that is often historically played by Jews. It could be played by Muslims. Seems to be being played by Muslims now uh, in U.S. politics. And then there's the people they're trying to incite, you know, uh, uh, black Americans in this case. And then you uh, so so since it's war and you're trying to incite violence against your enemies, um, the minorities, the leftists, etc., cetera, uh, you need to create fear and panic. You need to justify violence against them. You need to justify uh, brutality against them. And so you need to, so you, it's no surprise that Hitler borrowed tropes and argued that we, that Nazis should borrow tropes from the Allied First World War propaganda about the Germans. Uh, The Allied First World War propaganda about the Germans represented the Germans as monstrous brutes raping non German women. Uh, And so, uh, so this. Patriarchal masculinity is central here because what you do is you represent the other as a threat to your women. Uh, and I children. Be, and children, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, uh, blood, it puts it all together. It's a threat to the patriarchal family structure. So, And you say to men, you can't protect your women and children. So two of the great conspiracy theories last several centuries, one is blood libel against the Jews. The idea that Jews are kidnapping Christian babies for their for their religious rituals, using their blood. So you're saying, you know, you have to do violence against the Jews because you have to protect your families. And then uh, the uh, conspiracy theory behind lynching of Black Americans, which said Black Black men were uh, raping uh, white women. Um, these were threats to masculinity. Rep told men you can't take care of your women and children. Um, with QAnon, we have the, them all together. Uh, we've got the uh, we've got the blood libel is, is inside QAnon, um, and all of them appeal. They raise the pay, the fear of loss of masculinity. You can't protect your family. You need a strong leader who's not going to be bound by liberal things, by, by human rights, who's going to bash the opponent and save your family. Uh, Ida B. Wells long ago in Southern Horrors identified the structure as centered around patriarchal masculinity. Um, she, said, she said, speaking to white women, she said, this represents you as in need of protection by white men. She's like, this, uh, this represents you as lacking in agency unable to fall in love with um, with a, a black man. Uh, and you, you see this all over the world. You see it, as I discuss in my book, the Hindu love jihad, the, the idea that Muslims in India are, are targeting uh, uh, Hindu women um, to marry them and bring them over to Islam. So that has motivated enormous anti-Muslim violence in India. And it's, again, based around patriarchal masculinity.
0: Factor Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week, and you can pause anytime. So just head to factormeals.com americanhysteria American Hysteria 50 and use code American 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 Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code American Hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash American Hysteria 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. So I think that what is also at the center of this, uh, which is a part, obviously, if not the heart of patriarchal masculinity is the idea of the white genocide. And I think that that is like underlying. And I think people don't even know they're afraid of it almost like it's this underlying anxiety that's then exploited. Um, so would you mind talking a little bit about that? And maybe if it does relate to other places, because it's not like whiteness is the default, but it's whatever, right. The colonizing kind of overclass is. Oh,
1: brilliant. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. You can't, you can't, disentangle race and gender here um uh racism uh this kind of uh white supremacy it's it's ugliest manifestation is the the fear that uh that uh non-whites will take over and and you know take your women quote unquote your women uh So it's no surprise that in historically in American racism, the people that were considered most inferior were not blacks or whites, but mixed race people. In Frederick Hoffman, he argues he's scientifically shown that mixed race people are the weakest, the most prone to disease, the least intelligent, the most venal, the most criminal. Um, And, you know, so because that's supposed to be the most horrific of all, uh, so loss of cult cultural dominance. Um, this is the center of fascism. Center of fascism is hierarchy. The hierarchy of white over black, white over non-white, the hierarchy of man over woman. Uh so uh so white replacement theory. You know, it, when in Charlottesville, when they were chanting Jews will not replace us, many people misunderstood that as saying Jews will not. We, you know, we will not have a society that's more Jewish than non-Jewish. No, that's not what it was. The Jews, what the Jews were supposedly doing, was replacing white Christians by non-white Christians by non-whites. <laughs> you know, not replacing them by Jews. <laughs> so right, the idea right. is that that um, you know, white genocide. This was the this was central behind the uh, tree of life killings uh, uh, two years ago. Uh, October 27th, almost exactly two years ago from the recording of this podcast, the tree of life killer was focused on the Hebrew immigrant aid society, um, which, uh, which sort of is emblematic of this idea that Jews are bringing immigrants in to replace the white race. Uh, now this gets, this gets to how to think about this internationally with say India, where we're not talking about any whites. We're talking about a dialectic between Hindus and Muslims. Um, but you have the same thing, this fear that Muslims will replace Hindus.
0: I just also wanted to touch on the fact that this work is really personal for you. And you mentioned that your family had survived the Holocaust, but I know there's a little bit more to that story. And I was just interested in that because it'll really inform, I think, why this work and kind of carrying on this kind of work has been really important for you.
1: So I think uh, principally or for your your point that both my parents are um, have been the targets of uh, of the kind of conspiracy theorizing and vilification that faces uh, Black Americans, for example, in the United States and Muslims and Mexican immigrants. And I was raised with these stories from my family, uh, not necessarily of the violence they encountered, uh, and both of them did experience terrible violence, Um but of the uh, neither were in death camps. But my father lived through Kristallnacht was and was beaten on the streets of Berlin uh, as a child, as a five year old. Uh, but both of them remembered uh, how they were represented as monstrous, as viruses, as enemies of the nation. My father told me about how when he first learned to read, he realized the horrific things people were saying about about him. Uh, And my mother, when she was repatriated back to Poland at the age of five, and she lived in Poland until she was eight, there was still horrifying anti-Semitism. And the way in which people talked about Jewish people as diseased, as dirty, as as evil, as threats, uh, as satanic, these ways of talking about them affected them their whole lives. And so for me, What we see when we see these discussions of Sharia law, for instance, these conspiracy theories about Muslims, uh, when we see the way that our 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 president and his administration are speaking of immigrants, uh, I know that six, seven and eight year old children will be scarred by this talk, even if we overcome this horror, they will be scarred by their talk and they'll pass it on to their children. In the way that my parents passed it on to me, um, their their children will be able to identify things in the future as I've been able to identify things. But it also brings with it a kind of uh, lifelong trauma that I wish, frankly, we could avoid.
0: I think that that's. I mean, it's uh, man. I don't know. I, I, it's a little. I'm a little speechless because it's so incredible, not to flatter you, but, you know, you've been able to to achieve, I think, sort of in in the honor of things that have happened in the past and then also amidst what promises to possibly be at least a lot more conflict of some kind going forward uh, as we see these themes, these stories, these narrative, these cons- conspiracy theories really propping up this administration, um, and I guess uh, we'll see what that means going forward. Um, so, lastly, uh, something we like to ask of our guests uh, is: after flattering you, I will humble you. Um, is uh-huh. is there a time? That you believed something that wasn't true, whether that be, because I don't know if you've gotten to any of the episodes where I talk about my past as a conspiracy theorist and how that really, and my father as a prepper Illuminati person and how that really wow. affected me, and how I had to pull myself out of that type of thinking. And what did it was going a little too deep and finding the anti-Semitism uh, underneath and saying, oh, wait, what am I doing? Um, and so I, I'm wondering whether there was something in your life that, that, that duped you.
1: Yeah. Uh, ironically, I mean, uh, ironically, given the segue, um, I would say it was being misinformed of the history of Israel. (laughs) Uh, I thought that, uh, that Israel had always been occupied by both Jewish people and Palestinians and, uh, Palestinians hadn't been driven off their land. And uh, and in fact, just were murderous towards Jewish people, and uh, and unfairly wanted to claim the whole land as their own when Jews had always lived there, and the culture was always Jewish. And Palestinians, I, I believed an incredible number of false things uh, about Israel, and uh, and you know, and I was extremely resistant to being told that actually. Jewish, you know, I mean, my parents were people who fled Europe, but that Jewish people who fled other countries removed Palestinians from their land, and uh, and this it was very I was very resistant to learning this. It it seemed to me anti-Semitism at first, and then I realized that actually Palestinians are just like me, and uh, and they've had an experience of horror at the hands of my fellow Jewish people and uh, and my res- there was this resistance i had to accepting that because of course i identify with uh jewish people jewish israelis um so that to me was a big moment that happened not so long ago uh maybe 20 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago when i first realized the history of israel and had i'd been blanking out that history because it ran against the things that I so much wanted to believe and was raised believing.
0: It's uh really hard to wrench yourself out of those things. We talk about on the, the episode of, of you know confirmation bias and also yeah. like this belief polarization, where basically if you're presented with counter evidence, you just even want to double down harder. And so I think it's just it's like this wrenching apart because it is it's your reality that you're wrenching apart, and yes, exactly. and that's terrifying for people. And that's why there is some sympathy, empathy in my heart, because, you know, it is it is propaganda that is affecting people who don't otherwise sort of uh, want to seek out nuance uh, like we're talking about, like you want to seek out the nuance of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and how complicated that is for you emotionally. Um, and it's something we all have to do constantly. Uh, and it's not easy and it feels bad, but if we yeah. have But then when
1: you rent yourself out and you look at reality, I then became terrified about the safety of the Palestinian people. Uh, I mean, I'm worried about the safety of everybody in Israel, both sides, because they both vilify each other. Mm -hmm. But I know that there are so many people who are in the position that I was of believing false things, of believing that no wrong was ever done to the Palestinian people, that their claims are entirely groundless you know? And so I know that, and that justifies tremendous violence. So when we, these stories, these conspiracy theories, they're there to, these falsehoods are there to justify tremendous violence against others, um, who seek to, uh, really just have equality.
0: Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I think that's a really good note for us to end on. So, um, Thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation. Uh, I, I just, again, it matches up so much with, with the panics that we talk about here in the conspiracy theories. So I think that our listeners uh, are probably getting a whole lot out of this. So thank you you again, Jason. Thank you
1: so much, Chelsea. Thanks for the work that you and your podcast do.
0: Yeah, you too. (laughs) As of this recording, in fact, as of just a few hours ago, Joe Biden won the 2020 election and immediately the alarmist disinformation about voter fraud has exploded, starting at the highest levels of government and trickling down. I believe Jason's message resonates even more deeply now as we wait to see how this administration behaves in the coming months. Please go check out How Fascism Works. It's Vital. And next time on the show, we're talking about some of the most catty queens of fake news. That's right, televangelists. This episode was produced by Miranda Ziegler with sound by Clearcomo Studios. Please consider becoming a patron. You get extra content every month, and also come and check out our social media. Thanks, as always, for listening. As we move forward together into whatever the future brings. Ready, I hope, to keep working hard. But for now, I hope you let yourself have a great week.
2: The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing but you know better and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos my patriot supply has helped over 3 million families become more self reliant and is the company americans trust to prepare go to mypatriotsupply.com and secure their best selling 3 month emergency food kits each contain delicious breakfasts lunches and dinners averaging over 2000 calories per day secure at least one food kit for each family member